What is the greatest commandment of all the 613 you know, laws which the Jews had to follow? Which is the most important? In other words, I think they were saying, what's, what's the most important thing that we need to do before God? What question for us, you know? Jesus doesn't kind of hesitate in response to well, You need to love the Lord your God with all your heart and your soul, whatever that is, soul, and all your mind, wherever your mind is. In other words, I think what Jesus is saying there is we need to love God with all our being, all our life's energy, all, all, our, um, all our, our, our intellect, all our energy and, and, and passion. Every part of us should love, be dedicated to loving our God. This, of course, was nothing new. Jesus was just drawing from the most important Jewish prayer, which was the Jews know as the Shema. Can everyone say Shema? Shema. That was a prayer that they would um, they would pray daily. In fact, they would pray multiple times a day because that was their way of capturing who God was for them. God was the one that they needed to dedicate everything, every part of their being to. That was their primary mission, the most important thing. Jesus got it right. What I want to um, kind of explore just very quickly though is why. Have you ever thought why? Why is it that we need to love God? In fact, why is it the most important thing that we can do? Is, is God needed? Is God needy like us? <laughs> I mean, sure, we are quite clearly, for some reason, we are the absolute centre of God's world. God is fascinated with us. But we also know that God is totally perfect. He's whole. He's complete. If you want to know more about that, you talk about time after, you can draw the link. So I think it's fair to assume that, that God doesn't need our love. But he's... One thing I want to suggest, just because he doesn't need it, it doesn't mean he doesn't enjoy it. Is there anything, think about it, is there anything that is more satisfying than being genuinely loved? I've done a lot of things in my life, and I, I, I can tell you I've never experienced something that fills me, that satisfies me, that completes me, uh, like being genuinely loved. And I and we are in the image of God, so I think it's fair to say that if, if being loved is the most uh, satisfying thing for us, then it's also something that deeply satisfies God. He might be perfect, but you know we might be having a great day, we might be totally happy, but someone comes and loves us, it kind of makes us even more happy, doesn't it? Now, I don't know if it's possible to make God any more complete or happy, but... but I think we've got to assume that when we love him, it does something to him. And that's amazing to think, isn't it? That we can, in some way, in the way that we relate to God, impact God. Growing up, I, um, you know, I had a lot of love in my family, right? Clearly. But 
we didn't use the word love. You know, we, we weren't a family that said, I love you. You know, even now, now for some reason, you know, mum, you know, when you go and finish your phone call, sometimes you go, I love you, honey. I'm like, I love you. Anyone else do that? Yeah. <laughs> I guess it's nice to be able to communicate our love in words, right? Anyone that's, that's kind of associated with charismatic renewal would know that that's a, a common thing that we do, you know. We're like the psalmist today, you know. Uh, we'll, we'll cry out in, in our praise, in our worship, I love you, Lord, my strength. I worship you, God. We uh, kind of be quite, you know, as charismatics can be quite out there. But I think what the gospel's reminding us today, something which of course we know, is that the most important way that we communicate our love to God is through our lives. Love, you must love your neighbour as yourself. They only ask for one, what's the greatest commandment? But Jesus gave them two. Because he knew that the first made no sense without the second. Right? I like kind of two sides of the one point. In fact, Jesus says here that the second resembles it. I think what he's actually saying is um, that the second is actually most important. It's, it's just as important as the first. That you can't, you can't have one without the other. You can't love me without loving your neighbour. I love it. Jesus says they're like two commandments that hang hang on these two commandments hang the whole law, kind of like two pegs: loving God and loving neighbour. And when when those pegs, you know, when we kind of got those pegs on our line, it's like you know, regardless of the storms or what may come at us, we're all good. Nothing can blow our clothes away, right? <laughs> This is really the summary of what we've been talking about, reflecting on over the past few weeks. That God is so completely immersed in our, in our world that the only way that we can encounter God, we can experience God, and that we can love God is in and through our relationships with one another. Right? Especially as we step outside our little kind of frame of reference. And, and, and offer ourselves to, to, to others and to, and, to, um, and to a purpose that's bigger than ourselves. We've been reflecting on that over the past week. I want to suggest, though, that there's something more that's going on in the Gospel today. This, this whole idea of, of loving neighbour in order to love God is valid and it is important. But, but Jesus didn't just say love me by loving neighbour. He actually separated these two laws, right? And, and I think he, he, he made a distinction. He separated them for a reason. I think perhaps what, what we can read between the lines here is that Jesus is saying, loving God is not just about loving our neighbour. It is about loving our neighbour, but it's more than that. There are other ways that we are called to love God in our lives. Loving God is more than just about being good or being moral or being kind to our neighbour, right? It is that, but I think it's, it's actually much more than that at the same time. There are other important ways that we're called to love God. And over the next two weeks, today and next week, 
I want to I want to suggest two ways that apart from loving our neighbour, that we are called, we are invited to love God in our everyday lives. The first way that I want to reflect on today is by being authentic. It's by being authentic. By by being the real deal with God. You know, not not covering up or or, or pretending kind of or, or glossing over or trying to smooth over our lives, but but sharing with God the total reality of who we are. Acknowledging the truth of our inner world. Yeah. Being vulnerable with God. I want to suggest that this is one way that we are called to love God. You know, one of the great blessings of my life is that I have eight nieces and nephews. And, uh, you know, with each one of them, since they were young, uh, I just have this really beautiful connection with them, you know. They love their uncle, their uncle loves them, and, you know, they're all over me whenever I go and do in Sydney. Um, you know, there's lots of affection. They've got a real, just this beautiful, beautiful connection with them, right? But over the years, I've noticed that there's two occasions when they don't come to uncle. Right? The first is when they've hurt themselves, right? They've fallen over, they've stubbed their toe, they've done something, and they need that instant consolation, you know? They're crying, they never come to uncle, right? They always go to mum and dad. The second time, that, the second occasion they never come to uncle is when uh, it's time to, be, to go to sleep, right? Now, particularly with babies, all my sister's kids, for some reason, I guess it's the way they've trained them, they all need to be rocked to sleep, right? And so there's been plenty of time for a pelvin, right? It's, it's, it's sleeping time, and I've rocked them, and I've patted them, and I've sung to them, which probably wasn't a good idea. <laughs> and, um, but do you think they would sleep? They would not sleep. And, and I, I've got to say, yeah, I've been a little bit kind of vulnerable myself, but this has been one of the, I guess, the, the silent sort of moments of grief in my own life, you know, where I've been reminded of. This is something I've given up by being, because I don't get this privilege of being the one that, that, that the child comes to, you know. Last year, I was, um, I was ordained priest, and uh, uh, the day after uh, we were in Canberra, we had a little, uh, a little dinner with some of my friends, and um, I was holding uh, the, the daughter of one of my friends, who's not here today. Uh, and uh, anyway, I was talking away, I was bubbling away. Next minute, I looked down, and she's out of the wall. I thought maybe it was the greatest of all the nation. Now, I, I don't know, maybe some parents are so used to it, right, that you don't sort of think this way, but I couldn't, I couldn't help but think. I was just, you know, she was there, she was there for ages, actually. And I was just thinking, how special is this? The, the total vulnerability of her just out like a light, the, the trust that she, she put in me. And, and I couldn't help but just experience this found love. And someone would trust me like that. Someone would be so vulnerable and so given to me in that way. For me, it was another reminder that um, there is this um, profound connection between vulnerability, between surrender and, and, and human connection and love. And it's not just true with us as humans, but I want to suggest it's true with us and God. And, and the reason we know that is that because that's how Jesus was. 
with the Father. That he shared his whole inner world with his Father. That when he was, he was tired, what would he do? He'd go up to the mountain and just, and just spend time in prayer. When he was in anguish or suffering, he would cry out from the depths of his pain. And this, I think, is what the religious leaders at the time really couldn't stand about Jesus. You see, they related to God in a very different way. The law was their primary way that they followed God. Not all of them, but particularly ones that seemed to be in conflict, you know. That they would follow God and be in relationship with God by doing the rituals, doing all the right things. Jesus comes along and says, well, no, actually, to be in a relationship with God is, is, is first and foremost, it's, it's, it's relational. It's not pragmatic. It's not something we have to do. It's not about loving, loving our neighbour first and foremost and that's it. It's, it's about being real with God, allowing Him into our lives, being vulnerable, being open. So when we pray... I think it's important for us, and I often have to remind myself of this, that we, we, don't come to, we don't come to God just with an agenda, asking for favours, but we come just because we want to allow God to, to be in a relationship with us, to, to spend time with us, to enjoy us, to hold us. The religious leaders, they just couldn't handle it. They couldn't handle this idea that God was so enmeshed in their life, was so personal. For them, it was too real, it was too close, it was, it was, you know, it was too much, too challenging for them. You know, I said earlier that why do we love God? Well, it, it adds value to God, it makes him feel good. But the deeper truth is that we love God because we know, and God knows, that when we love God, it is always the best thing for us. Using our heart and our mind, our whole life energy to, to love God is always going to be the best thing for us. You know, we, um, we mightn't cry when we stub our toe or when we fall over, but the truth of our lives, if we're really honest with ourselves, is that we're all crying on the inside. You know, from a job that we've lost, or a, you know, a house we can't seem to find, or a, um, you know, a relationship that's busted up, or kids that are you know strayed, or someone who's died, or a sickness, we're all crying on the inside. And really, the, the message of the gospels, and one of you know, and, and what Jesus models to us is that one of the primary ways that we love God is by allowing Him into that, by saying, God, I am going to trust you with this. And, and not just kind of doing that in our, you know, oh, God, this is but really saying, this is exactly where I'm at, you know, and I, I just, I want to share this with you. The question for us is, are we going to be like the Pharisees and kind of relate to God in this kind of more programmatic way? going to Mass and saying our prayers and doing the right, good Catholic moral things, or are we open to modelling Jesus' relationship with his Father and, and being radically 
vulnerable and real before God. I reckon that's one of the greatest statements of faith. When we can come to God in all our mess and all our struggles and offer that to Him, what we're really saying there is, God, I trust that You are who You are, that You are a God who loves me and You can make good of my mess. I think that makes Him smile probably more than more anything else we can do. So let, let's pray. Let's pray for grace.